I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the Elementary Genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Peace. This is Prince Culture Law and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power. This is reporting live and you're tuned in to Necessary Blackness with my boy Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shali. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Peace and blessings, beautiful people. This is your girl, Ashton Brianna. Just wanted to get out here and let you know that Whatever you're doing, no matter where you are on Wednesday night, you can tune into Necessary Blackness, the podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, uh, where else? Anywhere. And you get to listen to me. So why not? Necessary Blackness, Wednesdays. Hey guys, this is Evan A.G. of Having My Say Radio. When I'm not having my own say on my radio show every Monday from 9 to 11 p.m. on Love 860, I am tuned in to the Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. This is Chi-Town's finest, Khadidra. And when I'm relaxing, I enjoy listening to Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Yo, this is Cambino. And when I'm riding down Stony, all I listen to is Necessary Blackness podcast with my guy, Raheem Shabazz. 
Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You've heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness Podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main Number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz. And today we have a special guest in the building. You know who she is? She's very special. Oh, I already said that. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Mimi Cartier worked relentlessly to improve the lives of youth and women in Atlanta through sacrifice and contribution. This public servant and community activist who grew up gang-related in L.A. recognized the importance of standing in the gap and making things better for those around her. A strong proponent of our youth, she is currently volunteering with Fulton County Youth Commission, Positive Growth Boys Home, and Positive America Youth and Girls Giving Back Incorporation. Her involvement allowed her to directly address the significant issues plaguing our youth through the influence of programming, curriculum, community involvement, and mentorship. Because of her vast experience and commitment to excellence for people, she has been selected to give keynote address before a lot of dignitaries. She has traveled to the Philippines, to Korea, and all over the planet, sacrificing her time and her energy to aid our people, specifically our youth, and I am glad and honored that I can call her a friend. And we have her here with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome Mimi Cartier. How you doing, Mimi? I'm absolutely wonderful after that major introduction. Thank you. All right, let's get right to it. We ain't going to waste no time. Mimi, you do a lot of volunteer. You do a lot of activism. Take me back to your humble beginning and tell me what inspired you to do the work that you do today. Oh, my God. Okay, so you realize that as my homie and friend, you're actually getting ready to get the groundwork that was laid for me. And do not laugh, okay? I don't know if... Yeah, so everybody out there, don't laugh at me, okay? Because the way I fell into community activism was kind of by mistake. So... Here we go. I had this boyfriend in Los Angeles that was a gang member. And I um, used to try and keep up with him. And so he lives in Pacoima. And they had this Boys and Girls Club off of Glen Oaks Boulevard. Well, So he basically used it as a safe haven to stay out of trouble, right? Divert certain horrible situations. He um, would just kind of go to the boys and girls club and it would be him and his little posse of homies and so when i would be looking for him i used to go into the boys and girls club because that's where i would find him at and after a while 
I wasn't interested in looking for him anymore. Because when I would go into the Boys and Girls Club, I would kind of fall into, you know, dealing with arts and crafts with the kids or reading stories to them. So before you knew it, I wasn't even looking for him anymore. I actually had become a part of the fabric of uh, the boys, the Pacoima Boys and Girls Club. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of fell into community activism, just chasing a dude. <laughs> that's inspirational because I know today she ain't chasing them. They chasing her. Now, i known you um, for your activism. i also known you as a magnificent artist and actress. There's a parallel between the arts and, and activism. Um, a lot of artists are conscious and they use their consciousness within their artistry. Is that something that you plan on doing or is that something that you are currently doing? Let us know. Let us know. Uh, yes, it's a twofold question. Yes and yes, yes. Um, currently, I am using my platform with my poetry um, because, you know, being a poet, you can write your own words. It's not like being a songwriter. Being a songwriter means that, you know, somebody else will look at your stuff and if they don't like it, they can say, okay, let's change this or, you know, let's make this addition here or there. Or they can add other songwriters to kind of, you know, sweeten the pot, so to say. But when you're a poet, everything it is that you write is not up for debate or discussion because it's it's coming from a place of where individuals can't, they can scrutinize you internally, but they can't say, okay, well, you should change this or you should change that. So I use my poetry as a platform for the people and for myself. I cannot at this time use my acting in the same way um, because I'm just starting out again and I'm in my embryonic and infancy stages of acting. So I have to be really mindful of um, what I say and what I do. So I don't come in there um, you know, I don't come into auditions wearing my revolutionary self. I come into that just wearing whatever that character's role is that they want me to portray at that particular time. Um, hopefully I get to the point of where I can have a platform such as Taraji P. Henson or Viola Davis so I can actually then use my voice to be more responsible when it comes to our community because we do have an obligation to our community, we have an obligation to ourselves, and we have an ancestral obligation. You mentioned poetry, and for y'all that don't know, ladies and gentlemen, she is a phenomenal poet. Actually, I had her opened up for Dr. Umar Johnson when we brought him down here. It was over 650 people that came out. The place was packed. And she told me beforehand, Raheem, I am sick as a dog. The only reason why I am here is because of you. She said, but I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do my thing. And when I tell you she went up there, did her thing, got a standing ovation, and no one in there knew that she was sick except me and her. Now, if that's not artistry, I don't know what is. Now... When you were speaking, you were speaking about um, an obligation to be a voice. A lot of people don't believe in that obligation. A lot of the people, they, they see it and they know that you know other people are doing it, but they don't believe that there's an obligation within us as black people. You know? And more times than not, 
the narrative that's painted is that those that do speak out more so than anything because of mass media, you see it being men. You, you, you don't see a lot of women. But there's a lot of women that's speaking out, and there's a lot of women that's the backbone of the movement. I want you to talk to us about strong, powerful black women and come from that perspective and let us know. Because within the community, you are viewed as one. Okay. So, wow. Um, powerful. It's a powerful question, and hopefully um, the statement I put forth um, will be just as powerful. So, uh, first of all, as a black woman, let me just say that if I don't do what I'm supposed to do in my community, then I have played a role in just being a naysayer or a bystander or a do-gooder while certain men or situations become hashtags and statistics and memories. So, um, I make it a point to be a bit more cognizant in what it is I say and what it is that I do um, as a black woman. So also with that being said, the core of our very nation comes from that of a black woman. And what I mean with that statement is listen very carefully. So the survival of the black woman depends on that of the black man. But the survival of an entire nation depends on that of the black woman. There is no you, Raheem, without me. Absolutely. There is no President Barack Obama. There is no Dr. Umar. There is no um, Frederick K. Douglass, there is no any of that. There are no power moves or power hitters or power makers without a black woman present and accounted for a period. The visibility and wear and tear of the target on my back increases every day because again, I give birth to nations. Black men don't do that. And so there is power and authenticity in that of the black woman. You know, and also too, like, I feel like there may be like a, 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 a witch hunt for pastors or a witch hunt for celebrities. And, you know, and there's a witch hunt for sports figures and there's a witch hunt for black women. Well, guess what? A pastor wasn't born a pastor. Celebrity wasn't born a celebrity. Sports figure wasn't born a sports figure. Black woman, born a black woman. There's a witch hunt for us because of what we internalize, what we have of value. And we don't recognize that. You know, if we recognized more of the, the power or the prowess of the queen that's inside of us, we would actually function and operate a whole lot differently. And that would, in turn, possibly cause the black man or men overall to look at us differently. But first, we internally have to change the narrative. And it may or may not change how they feel about us, but we at least have to start changing how it is that we feel about ourselves. And I don't know about the other black women out there, but I'm dope. And I know you know that you're dope as well. All my sisters are dope, dude. That's like it's like a unspoken sisterhood that we all have. And let me say this too. We as black women have always been told to be strong 
always told to uphold the household, always been told to nurture our men. And, you know, much like men, sometimes, you know, don't ever let men are told, don't ever let them see you cry. And women are told, don't ever let them see you sweat. Well, guess what? Just because I know pain and struggle doesn't mean I deserve pain and struggle. So there'll be days where I want to cry and I will cry. There will be days where I want to break down and I will break down because you have to understand there is a humanity and vulnerability. And we as black women can be that, but we've been told not to. We've steered clear away from that. So I want to embrace my sisters and say, you don't always have to be a superhero. You don't always have to wear the cape. Some days you can remove the S and just be on chill status and allow somebody else to have that for you. Because when you do have it back, when you do, you know, recharge yourself, there's nothing that you cannot do for yourself, for your children, for your household, and for our nation. Now, I just want to backpedal and go back. You said, I know I am dope. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, Mimi is sitting here with a vibrant red Unite a die sweatshirt. She got her toes out. Yeah, it's a sweatsuit. And she's dope, you know. And and the beautiful thing about it is she's conscious and she's for the upliftment and mobility of our people. And whenever I see her, I always give her her props. Now, the main talk in the news besides the hurricane is the situation with Donald Trump. And the Dreamers. What is it called? D-C... Yeah, D-A-C-A. It's the Dreamers. And I see on social media, there are individuals that feel like out of, I think they said 800,000 uh, Dreamers that's going to be affected, there's 2,000 or less than that, you know, depending on who's telling the story, that are of African descent. And it's from the motherland. And some people feel like that ain't our fight. And we need to know how to pick our fight. And that when we have social issues and we have situations, which happens all the time, Tamir Rice, Erica Gardner, uh, Trayvon Martin, that these same individuals wasn't there for us. But black people show up and show out for everybody because that's just who we are, you know. But I will go on record and say that no matter how anyone feel, we're dealing with children, you know what I mean? So that in itself is, uh, I feel bad for them. But for and foremost, I am for black people, you know what I mean? And I know that um, we got to fight our fight first. You know, everybody not might not feel like that, and it's okay to agree to disagree. What do you think about that situation? I agree with you. Um, it's not even a delicate situation. It is really what it is. I mean, you're talking about, you know, children. The, the thing is called DACA, which stands for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and um, it is affecting over 800,000 people nationally and 28,000 people in Georgia. Many of those who are immigrant youth, like, guess what? <laughs> At the end of the day, really, we're all immigrants, you know? And um, we, we, we pick and choose the battles that we want to fight for. There's a public outcry from us for stuff that should have been handled privately. And let me, let me, let me explain. 
it's like they say, you know, when a person is on trial, they're always going to, for a personal matter, it's like their personal matter is tried in a court of, of public opinion instead of private opinion. Well, there are certain things that we can do privately so that certain situations don't escalate publicly. Certain situations we cannot stop. So please don't sit up here and think that I'm saying like when Raheem made reference to Eric Garner and Tamir Rice, I'm not saying that, you know, well, Tamir, if he didn't carry a, a gun, a toy gun, then uh, possibly he wouldn't, you know, uh, that situation wouldn't have transpired or Eric Garner wouldn't have been outside the, the store selling cigarettes or CDs. That wouldn't have happened. I'm definitely not saying that. What I'm saying is if we become more vocal with public things uh, in a private setting, then we're giving ourselves a seat at the table. So when things do transpire sometimes, then guess what? We are at the forefront and we can say something. I'll give you an example. If you have, um, I don't know, like, okay, so the, the community volunteering that I do, um, I use Hosea Feed the Hungry and Homeless, for example. Um, if I am volunteering at the organization, giving my time, giving my money, giving resources um, for a, a long period of time, and then maybe a year or so down the line, they may have an opening on their board, or they may be getting ready to go into a different space, and they may be asking for the individuals that have volunteered or contributed to them over the years to actually have some sort of say-so about that. Well, guess what? I can definitely do that. I'm in a position, I'm in a space to be able to do that because I've already put myself at the table because of the things that I've done for the organization. So if we as black people sometimes put ourselves in position privately where the cameras aren't there and people aren't looking, then hopefully or prayerfully down the years or down the line, we can actually have something substantial where it gives us an actual seat at the table. You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Um, but the problem lies in people know. Um, I'm not going to say they know because it don't always have to go this way. But people realize and they have this misconceived notion that if we get a seat at the table, eventually we're going to own that table. I, I agree with that. They, that is not misconceived. That is definitive. That's exactly what we need to do. It's something like, um, and thank you, Brother Jahi Muhammad, for this. It's a it's a book called, uh, excuse me, a movie called The Spook That Sat by the Door. Are you oh, familiar yeah. with that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you go in and you infiltrate. And you absorb all the knowledge that you possibly can so you can go back, take it home to the home base, and train and teach everybody everything that you received from the opposition. Should I say? Because I don't. I definitely don't want to say the enemy. So I'll say the opposition. But yet, if anybody opposes you, they really are what the enemy, right? Yeah. So um, if you haven't seen a Spook That Sat by the Door, you need to watch a Spook That Sat by the Door. It's a black and white movie, and it's absolutely freaking awesome. I'm telling you, like I just might go home and watch it again. And like I said, thank you, brother Jahi Muhammad, for actually introducing that movie to me. Um, but yeah, so you're absolutely correct. We're going to own the table. First, we have to get a seat at the table, and then, you know, we'll own the table. All right. Y'all heard that, ladies and gentlemen. No more looking for crumbs off of the table of your slave master. Get a seat at the table, and then get individuals like Mimi in the building. 
so that we could take over and own that table and say bye-bye to your slave master. Bring the table to the table. Yeah, bring the table to the table. I like that. <laughs> now, listen, Mimi, um, about a week ago, I received a text from her, and uh, you was inviting me out. You said, yo, I got a table, and it's only for a selective few of my friends, and I felt, <laughs> I felt honored to be receiving that text, but I was nowhere near Atlanta. And I was mad I couldn't attend. So you was at the event. It was a family day event for uh, the minister, Minister Farrakhan. Um, tell me what that experience was like and what was your role and your involvement in that? Again, I want to say thank you to my brother, Brother Jahi Muhammad, um, who actually um, introduced me to Sister A.T., who was the organizer of the first annual Family Summit Conference, introducing Minister Farrakhan as the keynote speaker. Um, my responsibility for the weekend was to actual, actually moderate each and every last panel. So they had panels on Friday, Saturday, and I think a few on Sunday. Um, it was a overwhelming experience, and the objective was to actually understand that the family works as a unit and a business in our community. And we need to put more emphasis on the family overall. Um, Nuri Muhammad, who's a student minister and speaker for the Nation of Islam, said something that was very poignant to me. Um, he actually said this during the uh, conference, which was um, one of the threats to the United States of America or to the enemy overall is divorce. They do not want to see black families together. They don't want to see that. They don't want to see the unity of a mother and father together. They don't want to see the mother, let alone the mother and the father and the children. So that's the number one enemy in the world, divorce. You are much stronger together, of course, than you are apart. But history teaches us that, again, we as the black people, <laughs> we're the greatest assets this planet could have. And putting us together, what? I mean, we just had the two highest, I mean, the two most adored people in the highest office of the land, President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle. You can't get no doper than that. Yes, that's one of my words. You can't get any doper than that. But there was no scandal. There was no, um, there was no affair. There was no negative anything that was brought forth to the light that could separate those two and that could have us looking at them in a different light. And had it had been, truly, come on now, that, I mean, just, I mean, most definitely. But, and they did everything, and we're not going to lie, you know, fake news did everything it was that they could to try and, you know, persuade us to think that, okay, well, this is going down or that's going down. And it's like, no, come on, Really? We're not going to do that. And it's beautiful that that family didn't let you see them fall or didn't let you see their demise. They allowed certain things that were private to stay a private matter. Um, and so this particular family summit conference was just about that learning and strengthening the families and understanding that your family unit is a business. And also, too, it's like, have you ever seen like five fingers. Okay. So if you take five fingers, if you take your hand and you put it up and you spread all five of your fingers and you can pretend like 
each of your fingers, like the mom, the dad, the son, and the daughter and the dog, right? If you bend back each finger individually, that will hurt. However, if you ball all of those fingers together and make them become a fist, you can't penetrate that. There's no pain in that. There's no pain in that. Nobody and nothing can get through to that. So that's what that family summit conference was about. And I was trying to get you up there with me, you know, in the second row, you know, to see the minister, to see the minister speak for not one, not two, but three whole hours on Sunday, man. He put it down. It's okay. I'll get you the video. <laughs> Too late. I already watched it on the Nation of Islam's website. They have a webcast, so I didn't entirely miss it. And also, we was able to see the minister together when he came to, there was Morehouse, right? No, I went to Hunter Baptist Church, and I also went to when he was at Morehouse, too. So I seen him twice. I always, you know. So I want you to look out for the people and let the people know, you know, what you got coming up next. Let us know how we can find you on your various social media platforms. But before we get to that, what you want to say in your closing words? What did you wanted to say or what I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Support. Support, support. I'm sorry. Black support. Black support, black support, black support. Raheem Shabazz and I have known each other for a little over 13 years. Um, the introduction came from our great brother, Reginald Crosley, who's actually Fulton Youth, Fulton, excuse me, Fulton County Youth Commissioner. Um, and we have evolved together. Raheem was not where he was today, then, but he was definitely well on his way. And he had a project called the sun will rise. And, um, uh, what happened was I, um, we were just introduced as, as two, you know, powerhouses, you know, by Reginald Crosby. I wasn't really a powerhouse. Uh, Raheem was, I, I wasn't, I was just, I wasn't really a powerhouse. I, then. I, I was just blessed to be in his presence. And, um, but when, in becoming or morphing into a powerhouse, um, my girlfriend, Shakim, uh, Shakima, Lord Jesus, Shamika Gums invited me to be a part of the Atlanta Hip Hop Film Festival um, and be a project manager. And in doing so, we, um, it was six ladies that were brought together and we had the responsibility of um, reviewing films. And let me tell you, it was a very daunting task because we accepted the responsibility and accountability to view every single movie or video submission personally. We did not hire someone or get interns to do the viewing. We did it ourselves because we wanted to touch everything directly. And Raheem's project, A Sun Will Rise, was submitted. And during our, and it was actually one of the final selections, and when we had the Atlanta Hip Hop Film Festival at the, not the one at the Rialto, but the one at the Jimmy Carter Center, which uh, we also filmed, it's never been done before, but we also showed the, the, the Dead Press film too, which has never been done. And it was unprecedented for us because it was standing room only, but I had to go ahead and get that in there because yeah, it was all, like six women that did that. But in any event, uh, Ross film won. And um, winning that for him, not only gave him the prize from our film festival, but it also gave him an internship with Roger Bob, right? Yeah. And let me tell you how dope Raheem is. What's he talked himself, he talked himself 
into more of an internship outside of what we were able to give. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, um, and now here we are today, you know, I'm on his podcast. Like what? Like for real, for real. So just support. We've been supportive of each other. We can't support every single thing, but we try to. And it's like, if he calls on me for something, I'm there. If I call on him for something, he's there. So it's that continued support because you never know where that momentum of support is going to take you. I know it's going to take both him and I to the top. And guess what? The great thing about us is that as God takes us to the top, neither Rahim or I are taking our egos with us. So um, we can continue to go ahead and support each other. What I am currently working on is um, stuff that has to do with my acting. I want to thank Atlanta Models and Talent for actually just giving me audition after audition after audition after audition after audition. Um, and so hopefully I will nail one of these auditions relatively soon and you'll see me on not only just the silver screen, but the television screen as well. Um, you can find me at everything is branded with my name, Armelia Cartier. So Facebook is Armelia Cartier. Instagram is Armelia Cartier. Is there anything else? No, I don't do Twitter. No. So that's it. Instagram. Periscope. No, I don't do Periscope. Snapchat. Don't do Snapchat. <laughs> no, just Instagram and Facebook. So it's A-R-M-E-L-I-A-C-A-R-T-I-E-R. And the last um, info, the last parting information I'll leave you with again is as God takes your rise to the top, don't take your ego with you either. And Raheem Shabazz is just like, yeah, he's real humble, but y'all need to know who he is. I mean, you're talking about a filmmaker, a documentarian, if that's a word. I think it is. And if it's not, I just made it one. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Award-winning filmmaker and documentarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. I got it. I got it. And you guys, if you haven't gotten elementary genocides, one, two, and three, go get them. If you don't get all three of them, at least get one of them so you can understand about the prison pipeline when it comes to our youth, man. It's it's so serious. It's so freaking disgusting. It really, 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 really is. They are looking at our young black men at the age of like nine, and they can determine whether or not they're going to be a criminal or whether or not they're actually going to graduate high school. Like, who the hell wants somebody looking at their child like that? Well, the powers that be, they are. That's why they build more prison systems than they do elementary schools or grade schools overall. And Raheem is a man that's responsible for all three of those. Count them. One, two, three. All three of those documentaries. Yeah, I said it. That's it for us right here, ladies and gentlemen. This is Raheem Shabazz with Necessary Blackness Podcast. And I want to thank Mimi Cartier for coming by, coming through. And I will continue, continuously support you in all your endeavors and everything that you do because we all took the oath to the top of broke and i know if me me make it to the top i got a job i got a job jobby job job for real one of us gotta make it you know what i mean and so whenever i see her doing great things, you know, I, I, I'm not always in a position like call you, hey, me, 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 you know what I mean? But know for a fact that, you know, I, I see what you're doing, you know what I mean? I respect it. And, you know, it's your time. It's your time, you know. She was showing me a couple of emails. Those casters is coming in, you know what I mean? And, and, it's, all, and it's all about, you know, knowing that your number is going to play. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we have our conversation. And you told me, yo, look, I'm not doing nothing else. This is it. 
outside of activism, this is it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes you have to do that. You know, you can't be the uh, jack of all trades and the master of none. You just got to hunker down and just remain focused on this. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a role and you are paying real money, you know, make sure y'all call her. You know, matter of fact, you can't call her. You got to call her agent. That's how That's how serious it is over here. You have to call the agent. You know, and you see she don't do what you say. You don't do Twitter. She don't do Snapchat. She don't do Periscope. That's grown woman thing right here. Make sure y'all, make sure y'all get with that. All right, peace and blessing, black family. This is Raheem Shabazz, and we are out of here. Peace.